Calling all Swifties and champions of change, Like a Girl Media is rolling out the red carpet for you with our Thrive Like a Girl contest. We're all about celebrating powerful women leaders who inspire us to dream big and push boundaries. And who embodies that spirit more than Taylor Swift herself? Here's your chance to see her live in concert. We're giving away two tickets to Taylor Swift's show in London on Saturday, June 22nd. Imagine being part of the magic, all thanks to Like a Girl Media. Entering is easy. Subscribe, share, and show us which episodes inspired you the most. Visit our website or check our social media for all the details. Don't just dream it, be it. Thrive like a girl and make this summer unforgettable. Contest opens globally. Voidware prohibited. Must be 18 or older to enter. No purchase necessary. Subscribe and share with hashtag thrive like a girl and tag us at like a girl underscore media for entry. Unlimited entries means unlimited chances. Winner chosen at random after contest closes May 20th, 2024. We'll be notified via DM. Make sure your profiles are not private. Check full rules on our site. This is your shot to see Taylor Swift live. Don't miss it. Support for this episode is brought to you by Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting. Chirpy Bird helps clinicians earn their highest possible MIP score to maximize their Medicare reimbursements. Welcome to the Hit Like a Girl podcast, where with each episode, we hear from different women experts in the health IT industry. We like to hear about what makes them tick, how they overcome challenges, work they're proud of, advice they would give to other women in health IT, and much more. I'm Joy Rios. And I'm Robin Roberts. Today, we're talking with Sharice Maynard, healthcare compliance and policy specialist expert and founder of Jack Health. Sharice is also a social media influencer in health IT and is a co-founder and co-host of the HT Reads Twitter chat. Let's dive in. And hear how she's saving providers and healthcare organizations that are in too deep. All right, I'm Sharice Maynard. I'm a healthcare um, IT strategist. Um, I came into the healthcare field right out of undergrad, um, and I interned with the organization while I was going to grad school. And a little teeny tiny project I started with for them. Ended up making them a lot of money. And meanwhile, I had gone off to my other life. Um, and then I, by coincidence, I ran into the owner of that company's daughter. And she was like, that thing you started with us is huge. And we don't know what to do with it. Um, can you come back and work for us? And that's how I got into health IT. I went back. I built out um, some things for them. But the, mo- better, the most important thing I did for them was um, improve their systems. They, had, they were using their computers just to do scheduling. Nothing else. Nothing with patient care. Nothing. So I developed that piece in pediatrics for them, which pediatrics is a passion of mine. Um, and then I tried to get doctors in that arena to coordinate care using technology. They laughed at me, like, who has time to do that? Um, so that was, so when I identified those kind of problems, that's what got me into health IT. Um, and I w- worked with that company. I ended up um, COO of that company. And I left to go to Global Health and work um, as COO there for a number of years. And then I decided I need to do this on my own. Um, and left, and I started doing my own um, projects. And now I have projects as far as New Mexico and on the East Coast, pretty much all over the states. Um, and I love, love, love the business of healthcare, but I also love how all that translates into, at the end of the day, that doctor and the patient in the same room having a conversation. So that's me. 
So you're a one-woman show for the most part? I am. I always caution people. It's like, I'm my um, own brand, but I have um, the people who work with me. It's like virtual teams, really. Um, so it's a, we bring our own expertise to the to table. And because of my background, um, we wear multiple hats. So a lot of companies call me because they're in trouble. Um, and it's a lot of um, regulatory stuff, or they built out an IT project that's not HIPAA compliant, you know, that kind of thing. Or they just are in some kind of um, policy trouble. So I write policy and stuff for them, try to educate their staff on how to use things properly, and do plans of correction. That's a huge part of my business. Um, so I love doing that, but I would love it if providers would learn, use your products, your solutions in a safe, secure manner, and avoid all these penalties. They always say, just fix it and we'll deal with it the next time. <laughs> so you said, well, so you're like coming in after the fire is already burning. Mm -hmm. So what are some of these uh, plans of correction you're doing? What is it people are getting wrong the most? The security of their systems. So one thing I always caution about, a lot of um, companies where they want to adopt a certain type of solution, they're not HIPAA compliant or they have a vulnerability. And from where I said, I think that's huge. Because what they'll do is they'll partially convert systems over instead of full conversions. They know there's a vulnerability there. But they live on the hope that, okay, we'll react to it if something happens, not let's prevent it from happening. Um, so what normally happens is they'll have a breach, they pay, get the huge fines, but they don't count on when, when the feds come in to look for the breach, they go through everything. And there's no such thing as a federal agent who's not going to find millions of dollars worth of stuff because they want that money back. Mm -hmm. So most of, like, I know under Obama, and definitely under Trump, they saw that as, this is $9 billion we can get back from the community. Um, so that it's a priority for feds to get money back from providers, and they know those are the best way to get it from. So that's the trouble to get in. And I always tell them, it's like, you either fix it, or somebody in this office got to go to jail because it's a five-year minimum now. Um, and the HIPAA fines are huge. How does that work? Do they identify, oh, she's going to go to jail? Or who's the doctor? Oh, no, they stop. <laughs> it's funny. Um, most of the organizations, you know, they start with the clinical talent first. And a lot of people don't know because, but everything you do in a practice or in a hospital or whatever is overseen by doctors. So when feds come in, that's the first thing. We want to see the personnel charts of your doctors, your nurses, and that type of thing. They go through all of that, and all those are penalty triggers. And a lot of um, corporates, they don't consider that. But they should, because all they look is the breach. Now, the breach itself is two hundred fifty thousand for the org, two hundred fifty thousand for the individual. That's another place for them to get money, but it's not the huge. It's not the big part. So I always tell organizations like stop looking at that one little problem. Like, oh, we'll just pay the fine because two hundred fifty thousand dollars to a um, hospital. What is that a day's worth of um, patients? But the larger fines are in the millions of dollars. So companies will hire me. I'll go in and say you know, I can get this fee lowered for you. And that's when my team, like a, a lawyer, all that kind of stuff, I do it from mm -hmm. that angle. Try to save them some money. And hope that they don't do it again. And hope they let us teach them and all that kind of stuff. So, do you, I'll go. So do you end up looking at like the HIPAA wall of shame and kind of working backwards? Or do you try to prevent people from getting on that? I try to prevent them from getting on that. Um, there's, you know, the debarment, um, mm -hmm. uh -huh, a lot of, <laughs> I, when I first go in, I look at all that. I'm like, let me take a look at your staff and see why these mistakes are happening, who you have here who shouldn't be here and that kind of stuff. And a lot of companies don't do that. A lot of healthcare organizations, 
either don't vet their leadership um, and their internal staff, or they forget to update. So where they're supposed to look every 30 days at someone's um, credentialing and background, they won't look at them for like two, three years, and then they realize one of those people went out and committed a crime, or, you know, even not even intentionally, but there was a crime committed, they got on the debarment list, and the feds want every single dollar they pay them back mm -hmm. times three yep. for those three years. Wow. And so, you know, I would say some um, non-compliance issues are not intentional, but the feds do not distinguish with, between what you intended to do and what you did accidentally. And when you explain that to providers, because they're like, we're not fraudulent, it's like, you know you're not fraudulent. I think you're a nice person, but the feds sees, see it as fraud, and that's the only way they can look at it. So, go ahead. No, I was going to say, in my experience, they're concerned about, can you prove that you did everything you can to prevent that? Exactly. And that's the only way you'll be granted any grace. Mm -hmm. And most people... You can't do it. They can't do it. Right, because the first thing, it's like, did you keep up what, what you were supposed to do from the moment you signed the document that says, we want to do business with the federal government? Mm -hmm. And there's no way you're going to win that argument, ever. So... Unless someone has a compliance program in place that's from A to Z and they monitor it and all that kind of stuff, which they never do. You know, even a starter package compliance program is easily $100,000 for an organization. So they don't have the, the bandwidth to monitor it and they come up with these issues and they can't, um, you know, it's almost like they're feeling they're hurt when they get cited. But when I explain to them, it's like, we know, we know you're a good person, but in the eyes of the law, this is fraud. And it's not the Fed's fault for how they look at it. It's your fault for signing an agreement with Medicare and then not following it to the letter. You know? Exactly. So let me ask you a question. When you see this go on, well, I guess it's two questions. Small organizations to big, whether it's one doc in you know the mountains of you know North Dakota, or it's actually I don't think there are mountains in North Dakota. So let me go back. <laughs> There's one doctor in the mountains of Africa, right. North Carolina, where it's a large health system. You know, does that problem, you know, affect one size group more than the other? And then my other question is, what is the biggest barrier to getting these people to swallow that ounce of prevention to try and mitigate some of this stuff, at least to the best of their ability? The positive ROI is where they can't, um, the value proposition through all that, because most organizations, and this is usually the larger ones, it is more economical for them to pay a fine than to fix a problem. So they're like, well, you know, especially when they're dealing with consultants and stuff, it's like, well, we'll just go ahead and pay it and hope this doesn't happen again. But, but if it happens guys, again, we'll just write another check. But isn't that the thing that if it, if it happens once, it's triggered the, the government? Like, oh, we'll do it. If we yeah, but you look at again. That's one of those things where it's like entitlement as well. You look at, let's look at, um, I'll give you an example. I don't know if you can put this on your podcast or not. <laughs> Maxim. You know Maxim Healthcare? Yes, I know Maxim Healthcare. Do you know about Maxim Healthcare? Yes. Mm -hmm. The guy who owns Maxim also owns the Baltimore Ravens. He, he's, um, you know, very wealthy. So Maxim is like one of the largest fraud claim in the history of this country. Maxim committed it. By all accounts, and by the letter of the law, somebody should have gone to jail. But what they said is, well, here's the thing. We'll pay you some money, a fine, mm -hmm. and the millions of dollars, um, and please go away, because this ship must not sink. You know, that kind of thing. We're too and big to fail. We're too big to fail. But the, pers the people they were ripping off were patients. And what happened was an elderly gentleman 
um, went to get health care, and the organization said, no, all your Medicare. Now, can you imagine somebody said to you, your Medicare and Medicaid have been exhausted for your entire life? You can no. never get it. I can't imagine that. That's how much they it. stole from him. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So, he was like, I haven't had a nurse, a visit, anything. Nothing had happened in his life where he was using any health care. They had just been billing because they could. Wow. So, let me take a step back. I, li- I just moved from Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Our son, who is in- needed pediatric care from a really rare disease, was a vent-dependent kid. And I went shopping for home health when we came back, mm-hmm. TME vendors, all this stuff in the area. And Maxim is the biggest one. Oh, so let yep. me also just interrupt and say that they are alive and well and functioning like yeah, exactly. none of this ever happened. Right. Well, as sure as we sit here talking with the trees. So mm-hmm. please continue. So he sued them. He was like, I never had health care from you guys. And I, now for the rest of my life, I have no health care. Where's the money? So he sued them as a whistleblower under whistleblower cause. And that's what triggered that whole case against them. He ended up net now $15 million. That was what he was paid for whistleblowing on Maxim in that huge case. Meanwhile, Maxim said to the feds, listen, you, I think they charged him 300 and some million dollars for the um, thing. And they were saying, okay, we know we owe you this money. We're not going to give it to you. What we want you to do is feds is you can put a compliance officer inside Maxim and monitor what we do and so we won't make this mistake again. That was part of their um, plan of correction. Okay. Within a year, they had 18 infractions against that whole thing. That gentleman never got his money because what people don't realize when you settle a case with the feds, like in his situation, any care you did receive prior to that, you have to pay the government back. <laughs> the, <I> was <laughs> How could it have been $15 million, though? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And it's like with, um, because that was pediatrics was my thing. And you, you have you done the REM program? Did you guys could cover for like model waiver or anything like that? No. So we had, um, a, we started with the tech waiver, but then they rolled all of those mm-hmm. together right around the time we were doing it. Mm-hmm. So no, I did not do that one. Right. Because um, that's a good area. Um, pediatric care in the home, depending on how much you're approved for. That's a huge area for fraud. So that's another thing the Fed started making um, an area of special interest. So they would research like oh. a kid with kids. So I'll, yeah, I'll do you one better. So our son passed away in September of last year. Oh, I continued to get a bill for his ventilator yeah. because they you actually lease it mm-hmm. from the company, right? Right. And his his feeding pump is something we own. There was another piece of respiratory equipment we had. But I continued to get it, and I'm looking at the data service and in the window, and I thought, well, within the monthly window, if he had used it for even a day, I'm mm-hmm. going to see the bill. I know how it works and how their agreement is. But we continued to get it, and so, and there was a period of time of just ignoring pretty much everything. And so it wasn't until early January that I looked, and I thought, well, no, we didn't use it in October. Mm-hmm. didn't use it in November. It didn't use it in December. Uh, but the DME company was still billing for it. Yeah, they just continue on. And the because same people that provide the nursing, though, and everything else, mm-hmm. and the food and whatever else. It was one-stop shopping, so it's like, if you're doing it with one thing, what the heck else are you doing with it? Can you imagine, if you're billing for that one piece of machinery in one home, let's say it's $22,000, and if you're doing that for 2,000 cases, which um, most of the waiver programs, there's a $2,000 limit of how many people can be on those programs, um, you're making a lot of freaking money. But nobody ever, um, they might get hit with a little fine, but it has to be somebody looking at it in order for these fines. 
And that's where it comes in. Nobody's looking at it. And unless a parent sues them, that's where all the waste and stuff goes to. Right. So usually when companies get in trouble where somebody did tell on them, that's when they call me and like, look, Sharice, this is what happened. And I'm like, like with Max, I'm like, one of the gentlemen who... Um, well, let me ask you a question. Are you like mm-hmm. an attorney? Do you go to these clients and are you like, I have to know the truth so I can defend you? No, they know I keep <laughs> an attorney on speed dial for them <laughs> because I know how they're operating. So I'm not an attorney, but that's just, um, healthcare law was one of my specialties. So I always tell him, I was just telling Dr. Um, Karande, it's like, I tell him up front, I'm like, I'm not the person you want to lie to. I'm the person you want to tell all your stuff to. Do I need a policy manual or a shovel? Do we need to kill somebody? You know what I'm saying? It's like, we need that level of transparency for me to help you. So sometimes they don't usually. A policy manual or a shovel. Uh-huh. I don't think has ever been used in a podcast. Please. <laughs> so it's usually, um. They won't tell you everything up front, and usually with my expertise, before I will meet with a company, I do my homework. Like, I'll do, like, eight to ten hours worth of deep dive research on them. So usually when I go in, they don't tell me the truth. They're like, this is what what happened, and I'll listen, and then I'll um, do an analysis on everything, and then I'll come back and I tell them what happened. So I'm like, here's what happened. This is what you guys did. You got caught. We need to fix this. So um, I'll do a plan of correction for them. Um, and those plans, I don't know if you've ever seen them, they're thick documents. Because <laughs> you have to be very prescriptive at yep, this you point gotta, in time because right. they've already screwed up, right? Exactly. And it's like, you got to be very detailed. Now, another great example for you guys, um, Theranos, Elizabeth Holmes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Do you know when she first got in trouble, they offered her a plan of correction? Um, yeah. I didn't know that. I reached out to her. I was like, I've never had a plan of correction rejected. I have lawyers on my team. This is not your specialty because what you're doing is fraudulent. Uh-huh. So you don't really know this area. Let us fix it for you. We can at least get you out with just some fines. And she said, no, we think we'll be okay. We will recover from this. And I said, I'm going to save that email because <laughs> she thought she was bigger than the government. Like, they're never going to um, close us down. And then I just waited. I was like, oh, she's, they're going down. So when she did, I just sent her an email like, how did that work out? <laughs> Did she respond, I imagine? No, she didn't respond. Um, But she's a perfect example of, like, where you can fix a problem because they will allow you to fix a problem. It's like, you can say, okay, well, this fraud was not intentional, and to fix it. Her plan of correction was like, no, we'll just be okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like you, she saw the error of their ways. It was like, you guys just are saying this about us. We just want to do this to get you off our backs, but... First of all, as a woman um, leader, she should have known that wasn't going to fly. But the other thing is, with a plan of um, correction, it has to be an acceptable plan of correction. She wasn't re- really willing to write one, and that's what they kind of got her on. Um, and so she's a perfect example of when you don't take care of it. That's when they really come after you. So my clients know, um, listen, we need you to fix this, and... We need it to look right. So usually, if it's a, let's say their their um, citations are like 30 pages long. Usually you'll end up about 100 pages worth of plan of corrections. And you have to really break it down. It's like, listen, you're going to have to pay back this amount of money. You're going to have to change these systems. You're going to have to remove this person from their job and all that kind of stuff. So I do all of that down to the nitty gritty. And I send it all in. But I normally will contact the feds or the state that they're in first and say, hey, this person, this organization... They know that this was wrong, but it wasn't intentional. What can we do? So I'll develop that kind of relationship with them to say, hey, how do we fix this? And then 
Um, that's why it usually works out because of the relationship. That's why relationships are very important with regulators and that type of stuff because you want them to think that you're willing and that you're learning from them and that type of thing. But a lot of providers go over like, we didn't do anything wrong. And I always tell them, like, that's the wrong thing to do, you know, because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, the leadership of that organization knows they did something wrong, mm-hmm. but they don't want to admit it. But I said, that's not the time to do that. What you want to do is, you know, you don't have to acknowledge. You always put a certain statement in there. Um, we follow quality standards, and we're just doing this plan of correction because of our quality improvement program. There you go. Everybody's happy. But then you do a really, really credible plan of correction and get it in. You just wait, and usually within a week, if it's good, they and you give them some money that's, you know, usually you're fine or whatever. They're happy. You go away, but you tell them, you have to say, um, we are taking steps to ensure that this never happens again or lessen the likelihood of such. Okay. Now, I always tell um, providers the same thing. They'll be back in six weeks. So at least keep your craft together for the next six weeks. And they always say the same thing, like, they don't have time to come out and look it up. And then they'll call me like, the Fed showed up today. I'm like, <laughs> it's the law. Like, a lot of providers don't read the law. It's like they're required to be back on your doorstep in six weeks. It's not like they're just coming there to pick on you. And if you don't get it right the second time, it's another six weeks. And they're required to, if you have three infractions, um, they have to visit you every six weeks for over the next two years. So you can be guaranteed they were going, going through everything for that amount of time. And a lot of providers don't realize that. But when they actually do take the time to fix internal systems and that type of stuff, you see it's easier to live within the law mm-hmm. than to try to fix all these Band-Aids all over the place. So that's some of what I get into with providers. And sometimes it's a, I would say, up at dawn, pride swallowing. <laughs> nonsensical type of job because um, particularly doctors don't like to admit that they're wrong about anything. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, I was going to say, even just you're talking about like having them admit that they made a mistake mm-hmm. even when it, there's so many thousands of dollars attached to it. They're like, nope, nope, yep. what, wasn't me. I had nothing and some of their infractions are really simple. Like they may have um, coded something wrong. Like a place of service code is a standard um, mm-hmm. problem I see. Like the, the like a child is being seen in the home and they've coded it for in a um, facility right. setting. First of all, it messes up their billing. But then when they get cited for it, they're like, we it's, we just made a mistake. And it's like, okay, but the feds still have to view it as fraud and you're going to have to go back and fix it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this will be like nine months down the line. And they're like, we don't even remember where that child was at that time, you know. But they don't, I'm like, in the bigger picture, is it worth it to you to argue about this little teeny place of service mm-hmm. or to fix it and not have these problems? So it's like you got to bring them around to that time of thinking, like, let's fix the system that caused you to put that number in wrong. You know, some of them listen. Some of them, two years later, call me like, Sharice, we need you to do another plan of correction. Because they're back? Yeah, they're back, you know. So our second question, if you could snap your fingers and fix any problem in healthcare or health IT, like put on your magical hat, what would it be? Communication across the board. Communication of systems, communication between patients and providers, communication between regulatory and innovation. Communication. It works on all systems, and it's the only thing in healthcare we have not managed to look at properly and have not done anything to correct. That's a pretty big wish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's why I, when I say it, I'm like, it's that simple. Yeah. And that complicated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's both. I noticed from you, you're one, you, if 
from a distance, from an outside perspective, you are hustling. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're everywhere. And mm-hmm. you're a really good communicator. So I see you like constantly communing, communicating, whether it's on Twitter or Instagram or anywhere, really. And so I imagine you're like that with your customers as well. Yep. Communication is a problem in healthcare. I said the only thing we can agree upon um, in healthcare, in all spaces, that we don't know how to communicate with each other. Our systems don't know how to communicate with each other. Doctors and um, patients can sit beside each other in a room, and I always say, well, why do you think it's two people in a room? It's really ten. Because over the doctor's shoulder is regulation, all this stuff, insurers are saying to me, no, 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 this isn't about the patient, this is about you getting me paid. Mm-hmm. Those are the invisible people in the room. And from the patient's perspective, they can't get the doctor to understand, no, I'm frustrated because of this, and I don't understand what you're saying when you tell me these orders you've just written, but I can't tell you that because I'm afraid you're going to think I'm stupid. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Those, communication. Oh, yeah. You cannot fix it. We could, but we choose not yeah, to. Yeah, no, it's true. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you didn't use the, you know, the keyword interoperability because <laughs> no. it's bigger than that. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last question, and I think you're an expert in it as far as book suggestions. We're building a reading list for all of the listeners and just basically to help them excel in either personal or professional life. If you have fiction, nonfiction, whatever. What do you recommend? I would say, um, what's his name, Dr. Liam? Um, what's Dr. Liam's? Um, the book is called, Are You the Effing Doctor? <laughs> I love that book. I don't even think we need to know the author's name so much, Sharice. Mm-hmm. The, the title might tell us right. all. Yeah, Dr. Farrell. Liam Farrell. <laughs> Hi. Are You the Effing Doctor? It is true, and it's hilarious. Right. But it go, delves into what's wrong with our system. It t- touches on... Um, all the hot buttons, communication, why patients aren't happy, why doctors are burned out, all of that stuff. And it's just a really great read. Okay. Um, now, on the, non, on the um, other side that's non-health related, um, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I, love, I cannot recommend that book enough. Don't read it if you're home by yourself. You'll never leave your room um, and you'll lock all your windows. But it is really, um, Michelle McNamara wrote it um, before her death and she didn't get to finish it. So her husband had somebody finish it, but she it was about the um, the Golden State Killer, um, and it goes into all the investigations, all the key players in that investigation, but it really takes you to those dark places where everybody involved in that, where your mind goes when you can't find a killer, when your wife's been raped, all that kind of stuff. It's just a really good but creepy book. I would recommend that. <laughs> all right, and so... Our actual last question is, if people want to find you, they want to connect with you, Joy already told us how present you are in social media, what are your handles, what's the best place for someone to locate you or connect? Now, um, right now, Instagram has been bringing me a lot of um, traffic. I'm at Sharice, S-H-E-R-E-E-S-E-M, Sharice M. Okay. And then on Twitter, um, which I'm, I think I'm more known for, it's at Sharice Pub Health, so that's um, Sharice P-U-B-H-L-T-H. And on LinkedIn, it's just Sharice Maynard, M-A-Y-N-A-R-D. Do you have a website? No, I don't because um, I can't um, tell you what it is now. I'm in the middle of uh, launching a huge um, entity. So we're getting all that together, and we can't release it right now because it's kind of a big deal for a lot of people here. So if we want to, if somebody needs you on speed dial, they're in the middle of a regulatory crisis, they can get you on one of these other handles, though. Yeah, I always tell them to DM me on Twitter. Um, or they can um, reach out to me at Ask Sharice, because that's how, 
inside the organizations when something went wrong, they were like, oh, ask Sharice. Uh-huh. So I made it my, I want you to ask Sharice at gmail.com. Nice. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, you heard it here. If you are in the middle of a regulatory crisis, even though you did nothing wrong, right. <laughs> you should have Sharice and her new team, Power Team on Speed Dial. So thank you so much You're for welcome. talking with us tonight. <laughs> Thanks, ladies. Thank you, Sharice. Mm-hmm. That was great. And thank you for listening to the Hit Like a Girl podcast. If you want to know more about us or this guest, check out our website at hitlikeagirlpod.com. While you're at it, if you found value in this episode, we'd appreciate a ratings on iTunes. Or simply tell a friend. You can also connect with us on Twitter or Instagram at the handle hitlikeagirlpod. Thanks again. See you soon. Thank you to Chirpy Bird Health IT Consulting for sponsoring this episode. You can find out more about Chirpy Bird at www.chirpybirdllc.com.